0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So this past week, I was out of town um, at the annual meeting of our denomination. They call it General Assembly, Uh, and every year it happens in a different city. And so if you know me at all, you know that before I go on any of these trips, I am scouting out where I'm going to eat. And so I did exactly that. Um, I got, all, I got the scoop from other people from Memphis. And yes, I had Gus's fried chicken. I had ribs on Beale Street, but neither of those, neither of those came even close to the best meal I had this past week. Far and away, the best meal I had in Memphis was at what can only be described as a hole in the wall. It was underneath uh, an overpass of the Hernando de Soto Bridge and a little tiny shop that was called Alcinias. There was absolutely nothing remarkable about this building. I would have walked past it had not my Google Maps told me exactly where it was. And even when I got inside, uh, the decor of this place was something I can only describe as eclectic kitsch. But the lunch crowd started to file in and every seat was about taken up in the whole room. And as that began to happen, a woman entered the dining room from the back and she informed us that this was a family restaurant, which means that if there is an empty seat at your table, you invite whoever walks in the door to sit with you at your table, that this is how it goes. I learned quickly um, that this woman who made this announcement was the owner, the chef, the waitress, and all of the above. Her name was Miss BJ. Um, and she handed us all out paper menus. And then after we had marked what we wanted, I got the fried pork chop. It was incredible. Uh, on our menu, she began to come around and collect our menus from us. And we had to put our name on the menu. And as she came around, she took the menu. She'd look at it. And she'd say your name. And she'd say, Justin. Great choices. And then she'd give you a kiss on the head. And then she would move on to the next person. Wow, great choices. And then a kiss on the head. And then she moved back after she had collected all of these. uh, It was an absolutely amazing meal. And it was an amazing meal just because I got sweet tea so sweet, I needed an insulin shot after it. Not just because of the aforementioned fried pork chop, which was delightful. But what made this meal so special, so amazing was the genuine feeling of welcome and hospitality that every single person in that restaurant felt. Ms. BJ made every single person feel like they were important and that she wanted them there at her restaurant. That feeling of welcome and belonging is something that all of us yearn for. This is sort of a shocking thing because restaurants have become such a a sort of ruthlessly efficient affair in our day and age. I mean, you think about just how much things have changed since the, the waitresses and waiters now all have the Square app right in their hand. And they're connected to the kitchen in the back through Wi-Fi. And when it comes time for your bill, they don't have to take your card away. They just, you just do it all right there. Our restaurant experience is just one way in which we have seen efficiency... Replace hospitality. And yet our souls long for that welcome. Our souls long for that rest and that break because we're constantly battered by the world around us. We have bosses who want to squeeze every ounce of production out of us. We have children who lovingly demand our time and attention. We have friends who need a listening ear. And while all of those things can be great and wonderful things that God has given us, oftentimes they leave us feeling wrung out. They leave us feeling needing some welcome, needing some rest. And that's exactly what hospitality is. Hospitality is something that recharges us and brings us back to life. You see, sometimes we talk about hospitality as a duty of Christians, as something Christians ought to share with one another. But when we isolate it from who God is, we are missing out on something because hospitality is the, a very part of God's character. We show hospitality because he is a hospitable God. God welcomes us into his home. God welcomes us to his table. It's not some add-on, some extra, something that God is kind of just asking us to do. Rather, God is a God who consistently and constantly welcomes the stranger, who turns enemies into friends, and he brings us as children to his table. And that's how we find that welcome. That's how we find the welcome and hospitality of God. And what we're gonna see this morning as we look at Psalm 61 is how to get from the place where we are in heart aching misery to the place of seeing the welcome and hospitality of God. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to join me there in Psalm 61. If you don't, that's okay. We're gonna put the words on the screen behind me. Um, If you are able, I would ask that you would stand as I read God's word together for us, this morning. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him so will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. City Church, it's the word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. In many ways, this Psalm starts in a very different place than our sermon has this morning. While it's a joy to tell you all about Alcinia's restaurant and and the great welcome that I was able to receive there, this Psalm, uh, begins not with joy, but with heartache. David is in a place of desperation. In fact, the first few, uh, verses of the psalm are are meant to be felt as much as they are to be understood. David is describing where he is at and he is doing it in heart-wrenching language. He wants us to sort of connect emotionally with what is happening. Look at all the words he uses. David is crying out. He is begging God to listen to him. He says that he is praying to God from the ends of the earth. This is kind of the same as what our English phrase, being at the end of our rope, is saying. And then he finally sort of sinks down to the point where he says, my heart is faint. All of this adds up to a picture that David is feeling anguish deep in his bones. He does not know what else to do. He does not know where else to look. But what's interesting about this psalm is in no way does David locate this to any point in his life. Sometimes when you read the Psalms, it'll say something in the header, like David, when he was in the cave, running away from Saul or David after such and such battle. This Psalm has nothing in the header that tells us when it happens. And even in the text of this Psalm itself, we find no hints of what is happening in the life of David that is causing him to feel this heartache. But I actually think that that's part of the point. I actually think that David is doing something more than just crying out to God. He's giving us an example. He doesn't tie this to a specific moment in his life so that we can find ourselves in this psalm, no matter what the source of our anguish is. So you find yourself here this morning, and as you're coming in, do you have any of this? Are you coming in this morning feeling burdened and anxious about anything? Maybe some health struggles in your families. Some annoying situation at work. Whatever the case may be, this Psalm is for you. Maybe you've experienced death in your friends and family recently and you are, your heart aches for that loss. Maybe Father's Day is a particularly difficult day for you and a cause of sorrow. Whatever it is wherever you find yourself this morning, David wants us to locate ourselves in that place. The place that we have all been and maybe are right now, which is the place of heart sick, crying out to God. And so David begins in this place. He's at the end of his rope. He's at the end of the earth. But what happens next is what often sets us apart from David. He goes in a direction that we don't often go. A lot of times, uh, maybe this is just me, I tend to wallow in my misery. Maybe it's also because I listen to a lot of very sad music, um, and that probably doesn't help. But, but in the end, a lot of us tend to wallow in our miseries to stay there. And while there's certainly a time and place and a stage to sit in the pain and the heart sickness that we have, but what we do is we begin to come out of that moment matters. And what we see is David telling us how he is handling coming out of that. What does he do when he is at the end Of his rope? Will he will he try to ignore the pain and stuff it down? Will he pretend that nothing is going on? Will he quiet the voices in his head with pleasure and busyness to mask the pain? Or or does he do something else? You can imagine this is a sermon about a Bible character. David does something else. David does not just run away from the pain. He has a request. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. There's a lot packed into this short poetic sentence that David writes. When he says lead me to the rock that is higher than I, first of all he's painting us a picture. This is what poems do, old and new. That if the floods come, you need to be in a place that is high enough to be safe. Uh, most of you can remember uh, when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans and the the film and footage that came out afterwards and I think one of the things that was most striking to me that has struck stuck with me nearly 20 years later is the photos and uh, the videos of people up on top of their houses because the floodwaters have completely covered over the bottom stories of their houses and they're on their roofs waiting to be evacuated out of these places. That picture of a place that is high enough, high enough to, to stay away from the floodwaters, that is the picture that David paints for us, high enough for him to withstand the flood of miser- misery. But he also recognizes something else, that the power to do this is not coming from inside of him. Now, to be honest, that flies in the face of our culture. We are, we are regularly told uh, to look within for strength, to withstand whatever comes our way. You need to only look inside to find the inner strength to overcome, to do the hard work internally that we so that we can be steady. But that is precisely not what David is saying he needs. David is saying that he needs to find the rock that is higher than himself. He is at the end of his rope and he needs help from the outside, not from the inside. He needs an external solution. And David p- pens his hope that that is God. But this isn't the first time he's done this. Right after he says, lead me to a rock that is higher than I, he goes on to say, for you have been my refuge and a strong tower against the enemy. He he puts that in the past tense because whatever point this is in David's life, it's not the first time he's been at the end of his rope. It's not the first time he has felt the flood of anguish threaten to wash over him. Just because David has seen God work in the past, he says, now I am putting my trust that God, you will do it again. That God, you will again be faithful to me. The thing about our faith is it isn't a one-time decision. It's not like I trusted God to take care of things in my life five years ago, and now I don't have to worry about that anymore. I just get to look back on that and go, oh, no, no, I did that. No, no, no. Our lives are continually being uh, brought about new challenges, new struggles, new things that come into our lives. And at each juncture, just like David, we need to cry out to the rock that is higher than us because he has been our refuge before. This is a life that we live that is continually day by day, renewing our faith day by day, putting one's foot in front of the other to hope and trust and believe that Jesus is good, that Jesus will care for us, that Jesus is the one who is walking with us through this life. Uh, Dr. Alan Noble, who spoke uh, last year during our summer lecture series, um, recently wrote a book called On Getting Out of Bed. And he talks about the moments of anguish just like David is in these Psalms, those moments that threaten to keep us pinned to our bed and wrapped in our sheets. And he says that in those moments, even getting out of bed and trusting that God will give us the strength that we need to put one foot in front of the other is a strong act of faith. We have been in anguish. Brothers and sisters, we know what that feels like. And David says that when we're in that moment, The place where we find solace, the place where we find welcome and hope is in the refuge that is God. He will be our strong tower again. And not just our strong tower, but even more than that, David says that he wants to live in his tent forever. And while there's an obvious connection to the tabernacle, to the the place where God was worshiped, this is also a, a way of expressing Middle Eastern hospitality. Um, If you have any friends who are from the Middle East, um, you may have experienced this sort of hospitality. I I did. um, A little while back, I was at a a friend's house, um, and we were just talking and making conversation. And I noticed up by his bar um, that he had this really fancy, hand-blown glass dragon, um, and inside the glass dragon was some sort of uh, brown liquid. And I figured it was some sort of alcohol because it was next to his bar. And so I I just, in making conversation, asked him, oh, you know, what's with the glass dragon filled with something? He's like, oh, I don't know what it is. Let's open it. You can have some. You can have some. You should have some. And I had to quickly assure him, no, no, I don't, I don't need you to open, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I was just curious. I was just making conversation. You know, you have a glass dragon right there. That's a good conversation piece, I thought. But he wanted to immediately show me the kindness of sharing it with me. This is the sort of hospitality that we experience when we put our faith in God. That is the character of God that is sifted down through the ages into Christian hospitality. David is asking that God would show him that sort of welcome that he would be accepted into God's tent, that he would be welcomed like an old friend. Like, like when Abraham saw the visitors coming uh, from down the way, when he killed the fatted lamb and brought them in, David is asking to continually be in a place where he can be shown that kindness, continually being safe from the storm, sheltered under God's wings. And David knows David knows in asking this, that this isn't an act that God is going to do because David has behaved well. Uh, Throughout the life of David, um, you can see again and and again his flaws and mistakes. David knows that if he is going to be welcomed in this way, if he is going to be welcomed by a holy God into his tent, that this has to be a moment of grace. This has to be an act of grace on God's part. And you actually see The way this works out in verse five, he says, you have given me a heritage of those who fear your name. We hear this and that that verse sort of doesn't make a lot of sense to many of us. But what's happening in this verse is is David is actually referencing another story in the Old Testament, the story when Joshua divvied out the land to all of the different tribes of Israel. And each tribe was given boundaries from this river to that mountain, all the way down to that valley, and that's going to be the land for this tribe. And then the next tribe would come up and he would give them and parcel out the land. And that happened for all of the tribes of Israel, except one. The Levites were not given a parcel of land like everybody else. The Levites were simply given cities. Cities spread throughout the land of Israel. They did not have the land that it took to sustain themselves. The Levites had to rely on God and God's people to get them through their lives. And so when David says that you've given me a heritage of those who fear your name. He is saying that he wants to live just like those Levite priests, live in a way where he has to exercise faith that God is going to provide, that God and his people are the ones who are going to be able to take care of them over and over daily trusting that God would care for them. Knowing that without God, without God's provision, the Levites would starve and die. But because God is faithful, because God is a refuge, because God is our strong tower, they never did. Beloved, that kind of trust, that sort of longing is exactly what God is inviting us into in our darkest moments. But more than that, he welcomes us and shows us hospitality in the same sort of way that David was asking for. And so David turns his attention. You can see his heart begin to soften. His hope begin to rise. All of a sudden, he's able to see again what God is like. And so he starts to pray for the king. By the way, this is one of the reasons why um, we think that David wrote this psalm is because this part where he's praying um, for the king, he's praying for himself and for those that will come after him. He asked for long life. Most of us Pray some version of that prayer when we pray oftentimes. Uh, but more than that, he asked for God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, if you've been around City Church um, and we go through the Psalms every summer, every summer you hear me usually early on talk about this word that is probably the most significant word in the entire Psalter, the word that comes up again and again and again. And that word is Hasid. That word is God's covenant faithfulness to us. It's the love of God that is all bound up in his promises to us. Actually, the best way and the, the way I illustrate this uh, every year is the first time it comes up in the summertime is by referencing the Bible that we give all of our children at their baptism. Uh, we use and give them Sally Lloyd-Jones' Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, and in the Jesus Storybook Bible, here's the way Sally Lloyd-Jones describes God's hased, his covenant faithful love. She says it is God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever love. That beautiful way that she describes it is, it is never stopping. God is never going to give up on us. It is always constant. It is unbreakable. That is the sort of love that God has for us. And what David asks is that that sort of love would be showered on him. He's at the end of his rope. He needs something that is more than himself and what he consoles himself with. What he is able to look to the heavens and see is a God who never gives up on him. A God who never stops loving him. A God who is unbreakably committed to him. God has been his refuge and faithful to him in the past. And even more, God will be faithful to him in the future. And so we see that David turns in his heart. He turns to trust that that is going to be true yet again. It's so fascinating, worth noting that that they, that Jesus alludes to this Psalm the week before he dies. Jesus on, on probably Tuesday stands outside of the city of Jerusalem and he looks over it from the Mount of Olives, which, which looked down onto the city. He looks over the city and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you like a mother hen protecting her children under her wings. Beloved, Jesus is the shelter that this psalm points us to. Jesus is the one who welcomes us into God's house. By his death and resurrection, he makes us who were his enemies, who were the enemies of God, into friends. Through his blood and body, which was broken when he paid for our sins, he turns orphans into the children of God. This is the sort of welcome that he gives to us. He is God is our good father who gives us the portion that we need for today. You notice that David's trust in this passage is not for some distant future. It's not that everything is going to go away. Rather, it's enough for me to get through today. And that is what Jesus does for us day after day after day. So no matter what misery comes our way, no matter what the thing is that causes us anxiety, let us remember that he is the rock that we can stand on when the floods come. And that even more than that, he doesn't just stand and and allow us to be, but rather he is welcoming us into his home, welcoming us into his tent, And so when we see that, when we begin to feel that welcome, the welcome that I felt at Alcinia's restaurant, where it was joyful and restful and tasty, as I felt that in that moment, we feel that when we begin to place our trust in God and it does something to us. It changes us. It transforms us from the inside out as we experience this sort of welcome and hospitality from God we begin to see our heart changed and formed towards others around us. And that's what David sees happening in the very last verse of this passage. He says, So so will I ever sing praises to your name as David begins to understand how deep the love and faithfulness of God is towards him. He can't help but rejoice. He can't help but burst out into song, burst out into showing others the same love that we ourselves have been shown showing them the type of hospitality that sets them at ease, showing them the peace that comes from knowing that we have been accepted in spite of our backgrounds, in spite of where we've come from and what we've done. And so City Church, I pray that you would grab a hold of that, that you would understand that the love of Jesus isn't contingent on where you have been or what your anxious struggles are in this moment. It is solely contingent on what he has done for you and his love is unbreaking. His love is never stopping, and it's never giving up on you. And so as you begin to experience that sort of transformation, that sort of welcome into the family of God, would it transform us to show that same sort of love towards others, to spread that same sort of peace around our city this day and this week, no matter what turmoil we have going on? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a welcome that we don't deserve. God, in our anxious thoughts and our hard moments of our life, we are oftentimes fast to wallow in our misery instead of looking to you in faith. Lord, we cry out like the man in the gospel, Lord, we believe, but help me with my unbelief. And we are grateful that again and again, when we place our trust in you, we find you to be faithful. Lord, would that inspire us to trust you more, to cast even more of our burdens onto you? And as you welcome us into your tent and to your table, would it transform our hearts so that we burst out in praise and burst out in love for those around us, welcoming them as well. In Christ's name, amen.